Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. And we're into extra time. Kia ora koutou katoa and a warm welcome in to the Extra Time podcast. I'm Clay Wilson and coming up in this week's edition of the programme, we take a look at the potential ins and outs ahead of next week's announcement of the All Blacks squad for the Rugby World Cup. We'll also discuss where the future lies beyond a short-term contract for Silver Ferns coach Nolan Todor and chat about the Tall Blacks prospects heading into the Basketball World Cup. First, though, let's talk rugby, and joining me from Wellington is my RNZ colleague Joe Porter, and on the phone with us is Blackfern's fullback and a World Cup 15s and World Cup 7s winner, Salika Winiata. Good morning to you both. Um, Salika, we'll start with you. The Blackferns have obviously wrapped up their 2019 season last weekend at Eden Park with a, another win over Australia. Can you explain to us what it means to you guys to wrap up that Laurie O'Reilly trophy? Because I know it's really important to the team. Yeah, look, um, I think any test match the Blackferns get to play, um, you know, we always have high expectations. We can put out a performance that we're, we're happy about. And so... The Laurie O'Reilly trophy's no different. In fact, it's probably that much more important, just like the Bledisloe. Being able to go to Perth for the first time and play at an incredible stadium and put out a performance that we did, uh, you know, we were very happy. Um, but then we knew coming back home, um, you know, last test match of the year on home soil, we need to um, ensure that we could pull out you know, 30% extra because we knew that Australia would come back um, fighting in that second test match. And they did show that, um, you know, throughout the first half. But very, very happy and uh, proud of what we were able to achieve in 2019. Yeah, you guys obviously also took out the Super Series in, in San Diego. So, I mean, how are you feeling about the progress in general towards the World Cup, which is obviously going to be hosted here in 2021? Yeah, I mean, women's rugby, you know, growing and not just here in New Zealand but worldwide and you look at that Super Series, you know the top five teams playing in the same competition, that's not something we get very often, so to get the quality test matches is something that uh, we are thriving on and we want more of and I think it just showed, um, you know, that there's not a lot between countries now like there used to be you know, you don't see huge scores anymore. Uh, the games are a lot closer and tighter and it makes for good, good rugby. So I think it's steering us in the right direction. As you said, World Cup, it's going to be here in New Zealand, uh, first time ever. Uh, there's a lot that we need to improve on, just like, you know, every other side. But, um, you know, the game here is getting better. We've been able to bleed through some new girls and to have, you know, new girls been able to wear that black jersey, it just increases the potential we have and, um, you know, the pool that we've got to choose from. The tests were obviously played as double-headers alongside the All Blacks, and they're all set for a big announcement of their own to announce this World Cup squad. 
we'll have a run through the squad, and I guess it makes sense to start in your specialist area, which is the, the outside backs, and it is an area that's had a lot of focus uh, the past couple of weeks. Um, do we think, though, the incumbents are the players that are going to go now? Are the five that we've got the five that we're going to get next week? Yeah, look, I don't think there's going to be too much change. Um, you know, everyone has a bad day playing rugby, unfortunately, and I guess Rico's um, wearing that at the moment, you know, having been dropped. But I think when you're looking at a World Cup, um, you've got to ensure that you've got players um, that can cover more than just one position, especially as an outside back. And, you know, World Cups are those types of things that injuries can can appear from the very first game. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think there'll be too much change. I'm not sure. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, they're the five that I'm picking that will go. The only sort of, I guess, outlier is if they take an extra forward in that squad, therefore lowering the numbers of backs they can take. And, you know, you'd assume they'd shed an outside back if that was the case. Um and Salika, if that does happen, who out of those five gets squeezed out? Is it George Bridge? Is it, is it Severu Reese? Is it Geordie Barrett? I mean, you'd assume Ben Smith and Ioane go despite having a little bit of trouble with their form at the moment. They'll back Smith's class. They'll back Rico to play his way back into form through ITM Cup and, of course, the early pool games. But um, if, if one goes out of those five, it's probably one of Bridge, Reese, or Geordie Barrett. Who do you think gets squeezed out if that happens? Yeah, look, it's hard to know, but I, I probably think it would be along the lines of either Reese or Bridge only for the fact that um, you know Jordan he can always cover midfield as well yes. um, so I guess he could be used as a utility if if required um, but yeah again oh, I have no idea what they'll be thinking Well another hotly contested area just a little bit inside is the, the midfield um, it looks as though Anton Leonard Brown and Jack Goodhue appear locked in um, but where do we see the selectors going with presumably what are two other spots? We've got Ryan Crotty coming back from injury, Sonny Bill Williams also coming back from injury. Um, are those the two that go, or does Laomapi manage to squeeze his way in somehow? I think personally those four go, Sonny Bill, Ryan Crotty, um, Anton Leonard-Brown and Jack Goodhue. And Nani Laomapi has done nothing wrong. He's had a superb season and he hasn't put a foot wrong in the black jersey really. He's just an unlucky loser in this situation. I mean, and, you know, it is four midfielders. One of them is probably likely to break down. So Laomapia may well play a role in this World Cup yet. But I think, yeah, he's the unlucky loser. Sonny Bill played his way or secured his spot with that game. And the Bledisloe decider is just so rock solid on defence, attracts a couple of defenders each time. His physical presence, his calmness on the field, um, just his uh, you know, charis- charisma and professionalism around the squad, all that sort of stuff that he brings. Um, and then Ryan Crotty, you need guys like him with experience. I know he's injured and coming back, but I think... To balance out the Jack Goodhue and the Anton Leonard-Brown, Leonard-Brown had a superb game in that decider as well, I should mention. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, you take the two experienced guys because experience is going to win the World Cup. Some of these games are going to probably be played in the wet. They're going to be 11-7 scorelines, you know, in quarterfinals, etc. So I imagine that they'll go with those four. And, yeah, poor old Nani Lamarpe hasn't done anything wrong, but there's just not quite enough room. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Joe, but Salika, it is very tough on Nani Lamarpe, it would seem. He's had a pretty good super season and really didn't do too much wrong in the limited time he had across these first few All Black games. No, he didn't. And, you know, you've got to feel for a guy like him. Uh, you know, he can bring so much to a game. Very powerful. Um, but I think when you look at the overall picture and what the other four bring around experience and just their different qualities as well, yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I, I think that Nani will 
be the one that misses out. But again, you know, all it takes is an injury and he's back in the squad. So mm. uh, it'll be interesting to see. Okay, well, speaking of um, people that are going to be unlucky, the loose forwards look like another area where there's going to be one or two pretty unlucky people. Um, a lot of debate around this one. We've obviously got Kieran Reid, the captain, Sam Kane, Artie Savia. They all pick themselves. Um, they'll be there. What are they going to do outside of that? Matt, we've got Matt Todd, we've got Jackson Himapol, and then we've got um, the two sort of number sixes, Viva Fida, Shannon Frizzell. Joe, I know this is something you've looked into a lot. What do you see them doing there? I think they take Matt Todd just for his experience. His, um, his sort of, he'll never let them down. He works hard. He's tireless within the camp. Um, he deserves it. You know, he's been one of the most unlucky, I guess, number sevens in the world. Most other countries, he would have just cruised into their international team, but he sat behind Richard McCaw and now Sam Kane. So I think he's number four. And then your fifth, Lucy, is the trickiest one for me. My gut's telling me Jackson Hemapur gets to go um, because of his ability to cover lock and blindside. They see him as a bit tighter, a bit more useful uh, around the ruck and in the tight things, you know, the, the sort of the dark areas of the forwards like Jerome Kainal was compared to Via Fafita, who's great with ball in hand and great in the loose, but perhaps can go a little bit missing sometimes in the scrums, the lineouts, the tight stuff. So I think Jackson Hemapool gets the edge over Via Fafita, who's unlucky to miss out. Another name that is starting to be mentioned a bit more is Liam Squire. Salika, we've seen how well he's played for yeah. Tasman. Do you think there's any chance we're going to see a surprise inclusion for Liam Squire? I mean, uh, it seems to me like Steve Hansen would bring him straight in if he's keen to play. Yeah, and I, I mean, I know, you know, when he wasn't uh, named in the All Black squad at the start, um, that there was clear mention that if he was to become available, that uh, Hansen would look to, to bring him in. So, look, I, I think um, the way he's going, you know, in the Mitre 10 Cup, wouldn't surprise me um, if he was brought into the squad. Um, you know, he, he can offer so much as well. And it sounds like it's, you know, the, the ball's on his court, whether or not he, he wants to be a part of the squad or not. Um, but again, I guess they just need to look at what it is that they want to take with this um, Lucy trio and who can cover extra positions, especially... Uh, we don't want any more red cards going into that World Cup, do we now? Otherwise, there's going to be boys suspended. <laughs> exactly. Well, I guess um, there is just the, the one game. So we're going to see the squad and then we're going to see them in, in one game. What would you both expect or, or like to see in that game against Tonga before the team heads off to Japan? I think, I guess for me, um, I would just like to see the All Blacks go out there, play well as a team and minimise the amount of errors um, within their game, both on um, attack and defence. Um, you know, I, I know that they've been trying out different combinations, which you need to do prior to the World Cup. But I think as an all-black supporter, um, you get a little bit frustrated when, you know, there's basic errors happening throughout the 80 minutes. So for me, it's just been able to put out a performance, um, you know, where there's less errors. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I just would like to see them pick their strongest team, um, carry on from where they left off in that Bledisloe Cup decider at Eden Park, drive them back in the scrum and get scrum penalties with seven men. That kind of intensity, that kind of passion and desire to really, really make a statement before this World Cup. And like Salika said, just cut out. So there was still a little bit of ill-discipline at Eden Park. There were still a few errors with drop balls and passes that shouldn't have been pushed, etc. So a little bit more clinical there, a little bit more accurate. Um, contain that physicality and aggression. You know, don't let it spill over into ill-discipline. And yeah, you know, try and put as many points on the Tongans as they can and really make a statement 
before this World Cup. I'm sure everyone would like to see that. But I guess in terms of this World Cup squad, I guess all the questions will be answered in a few days' time. Let's leave it there for now. Thanks to you, Salika. We look forward to seeing you back in action soon with the Black Ferns. I'm sure you're looking forward to getting back with the team soon. And thanks to you, Joe. We'll see you up here uh, next week in Auckland for the big announcement. Thank you. Well, speaking of announcement, there was a significant one out of netball in New Zealand this week with Nolene Todor confirming she's extended her contract through to the next two series with the Silver Ferns. That, though, only takes the World Cup winning coach through till January next year, and what will happen beyond that remains unclear. Joining me in the studio to take a look at what the future holds for Totoa is RNZ netball reporter Ravinda Hunia. Um, Ravinda was in Liverpool to cover the Ferns World Cup triumph. Ravinda, a lot of the comment has been about how great it is that she's staying on, but it's only for a couple of tournaments. Should people, netball fans, be concerned she hasn't signed a long-term deal here? Yeah, the worry comes because of the comments she's made herself this week, which was um, that she'll stay on for that five months and then doesn't know where her future will lie after that. She's also spoken about recruitment for these next five months and how unfair it would be for her to to see the World Cup through and then to just walk away with a Constellation Cup set for October and, and a quad series in January. So that uh, raised a red flag for me when she said that. Um, when we asked her, obviously, after the World Cup, if she would be staying on, she didn't make any promises. But at that point, she had already signed that five-month deal. So it was it was kind of like she was, oh, I don't know, I'm not quite sure. But you got the feeling she was staying on. You didn't feel like she was going anywhere. This time, though, the tones really changed. So, I mean, she says that she needs a rest and that she needs to reconsider her options and resettling her family and the Waikato and all those sorts of things. And, of course, she's been on the go for, you know, a few years now and hasn't had a break at all, even in the off-season, uh, since taking up the Silver Ferns. But um, for her to not commit to the Silver Ferns, knowing how much the Silver Ferns and Netball New Zealand mean to her and how far she's come to get the job, it, it it is worrying to say that, you know, to think that she might just walk away after this. I know she's said about the difference between international coaching and club coaching. That seems to have played a role here in some of the comments she's made this week since the announcement. Yeah, it seemed as though that the job wasn't everything she thought it would be uh, in terms of um, what she could yeah. provide as a head coach for the Silver Ferns. Um, she spoke about how, as a club coach, she can work and mould uh, players for seven to eight months at a time, whereas um, with the Silver Ferns she gets what she gets and she has to um, really just smack a team together and, and get the right combinations and the coaching part is cut right out of it, which she doesn't like. And, you know, she's quite passionate about growing players as people and then transferring that onto a netball court. So it'll be quite hard to, to twist her arm no matter what, you know, kind of money you would be willing to throw at her if she's not passionate about it. Could we see her perhaps in a non-coaching role with Netball New Zealand? Is that something Netball New Zealand have expressed any interest in or has been put to them at all? Yes, and, and Totoa has expressed that also. She says that should she not stay on as the head coach, that they are willing to um, make room for her within the organisation so that she can still help um, this side to build. Uh, I'm not quite sure what kind of position that would be. She's thrown up in the mm. air in the past about wanting to be the CEO one day, which <laughs> she'd probably do a great I'm job sure a lot at of that. people would be happy about that. <laughs> Definitely. Although I know Jenny Wiley has since taken up netball, so I don't know, um, you know, she's probably trying to get her, her netball now about maybe her they herself. Could swap, maybe they could swap roles eventually. Yeah, one definitely. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so if, uh, if Nolene's not going to coach beyond January, as some people are suspect, suspecting, mm. um, 
who are the candidates? Who's going to coach the Silver Ferns? Who do you see coming into this role potentially? Well, obviously you have Deb Fuller, who's been assisting her for the past uh, 12 months, but in terms of her experience on the international stage, not that very long. Uh, she coached the Northern Mystics many years ago when Totoa was her assistant, um, but since then has um, not been at that um, elite level netball. But I, I would say in terms of keeping a foundation, it would be a good idea to keep her around should Noli not be there mm. because she knows the processes. Um, for me, as much as Silver Ferns and Netball New Zealand like to say we like to uh, retain our New Zealand netball players, it would be great to retain our netball coaches as well and give them a pathway. And the name that springs to mind there is Yvette McCausland-Jury. She's had two successful seasons with the Central Pulse, a title um, to her name as well. But another dark horse that I feel um, is Scottish coach Gail Parata, who has... Uh, resurrected the Scottish netball team and pulled them out of the elephant graveyard, I always say, and, and she, they're sort up to seventh um, best in the world now, and she's been to two Commonwealth Games with that team, and now a Netball World Cup. She's got the same qualifications as Nolene. They actually went through that process at the same time. They're very good friends, so a like-minded coach um, with those credentials, I think if she put her uh, name in the hat, she'd be a, a contender. Oh, very interesting. I suppose all will be revealed in a few months' time. Mm. <laughs> Thanks, Ravinda. Thanks for your thoughts. And finally this week, we're going to chat basketball with the Tall Blacks all set to tip off their World Cup campaign in, in China next weekend. Joining me now is Matt Chatterton, who's heading east to cover the tournament for RNZ. Now, Matt, we've seen the Tall Blacks this week suffer a big loss and then a much closer overtime defeat to Canada. Um, who else have they played as part of their build-up and generally how's their prep been for this tournament? Uh, yeah, they played Japan in a series uh, earlier as well, uh, just last week. That was uh, tied up one all, uh, which is uh, pretty similar, I guess, to what we saw in, uh, against Canada. Uh, Japan, clear winners in round one, and then New Zealand sort of found their groove in round two. Uh, they have got a few more games in the lead-up to the tournament. They play uh, France and Italy and one other team uh, just before the tournament starts next week. So they will get a good run round. They'll get some good experience against uh, North American teams, Asian teams, and uh, European teams. So they have a good mix going into it. So, uh, And they've obviously also had the three years of, uh, or two years of uh, games leading up to the tournament mm. uh, playing for the World Cup qualifiers. So this squad has been uh, relatively um, you know, they know each other relatively well, so they should be somewhat prepared going into this event. In terms of the squad, obviously no Stephen Adams, and they've lost Mika Vakona, which is a big blow. What are their realistic chances, given the squad they have and without those guys there? I mean, the, the cards are stacked against them, let's be honest. They've got, uh, going up against Greece, who are ranked 8th in the world, and they've got Brazil, uh, who are ranked about 12th in the world, and then there's Montenegro in their pool, ranked 28th in the world, and New Zealand's ranked 38th. So, yeah, it is going to be tough for them, no doubt about it. And you look at um, some of the guys in all of those teams, Brazil have a couple of guys going to their 5th World Cup. Montenegro have their starting centre uh, plays in the NBA for the Orlando Magic. And then, of course, you've got Greece, who have got the Greek freak, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is uh, the reigning MVP for the NBA. So, well done, you got through that name and pronounced it perfectly. It's just unbelievable the talent <laughs> that guy has. Uh, thank you very much for the pronunciation. I still don't actually know if that's the correct pronunciation, but I did my best just to rattle it off as quick as I could. Um, so yeah, so yeah, they've got it. They've got a uh, very tough competition. Let's be honest. Um, I, I wouldn't bet on them if I was being completely honest. But hey, um, where do things have happened? You look at O two when they finished fourth. No one picked that. Just finally, um, we've seen the popularity of basketball in recent years booming in New Zealand. What would a strong showing from the Tall Blacks at this tournament do in terms of that, do you think? 
Well, I mean, I talked to a bunch of the guys, uh, the current Tall Blacks, about uh, what O2 did for them, and, and a lot of them were quite young when that happened, obviously. I think Finn Delaney was barely in primary school, and um, then you had Tom Abercrombie and, and Corey Webster, who are the older guys. They had just started high school, so they were um, they barely remember O2. They, they remember parts of it and how that created a conversation around basketball and sort of helped the next generation that they're part of now. Um, so obviously they want to go out there and inspire the next generation, but as we know... Um, um, basketball is one of the fastest growing sports in New Zealand uh, thanks to the likes of Adams playing in the NBA and then just the NBA in general it's such an exciting sport to watch so I think um, basketball in this country will you know, go from strength to strength uh, as long as possibly some more funding goes their way but um, it's, a, it's a hell of a popular sport there's no doubt about that Oh well, we uh, thank you for your thoughts this morning and we look forward to seeing how the Tall Blacks go and of course all your coverage from over there in China thanks Matt And that's it for Extra Time this week. Thanks again to those who joined me and thanks to you for tuning in. Don't forget, for all the latest in sport here in New Zealand and around the world, check us out online at rnz.co.nz sport and give us a follow on Twitter. Our handle is at rnz sport. I'm Clay Wilson. Goodbye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.